everybody. Welcome to the inaugural episode, the inaugural podcast. And I must say, it's my first time doing a podcast. The very first edition of the Golf Fanatics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Our objective, why are we doing this? Uh, there's so much information out there for the everyday golfer. And what we're looking to do is we're looking to educate and entertain you, the everyday golfer. We're going to talk with coaches in a simple, clear, concise, and understandable language where we're going to share information to help you hit better shots so you can ultimately experience more joy, have more fun out on the golf course. And that's really what we're all about. And we thank you so much for joining us. Our very first episode is sponsored by golffanatics.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Andrew Rice. We created Golf Fanatics so that we could share complex information in simple, understandable, uncluttered language that you can take to the golf course. I'm so proud to introduce my very, very first guest, somebody I've known for almost 30 years now, Adam Bazalgette, founder of Scratch Golf Academy. Adam and I met a long, long time ago, and we've done quite a lot of travel together, corporate events all over the world. We both started working for David Ledbetter at around the same time, and it really was, Adam, I think you would agree with this, a prime time to get started with David. David was at the top of his oh, game. Oh, absolutely. We were, we were the youngsters just lapping up information and and really i know in 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 my early days as a teacher i felt like i knew everything i think that's a good thing actually for a young <laughs> coach to get to a point where you feel like you know everything but as someone said so aptly the other day the further you get from the shore the deeper the water gets and that's exactly what i've experienced i'm sure you've experienced it adam runs founded scratch golf academy Com. Scratch Golf Academy is a very, very popular YouTube golf site. And I would say the thing that's amazing about what Adam does is he has 360,000 subscribers on his channel. But all of that is a product of two, just over 200 videos. And Adam, that to me is amazing. Um, I look at that and I look at some of the other popular YouTubers when it comes to golf instruction and They've got videos in the thousands and you've managed to get it done with such great information, really working to help the everyday golfer. How did Scratch Golf Academy get started? Well, I appreciate that kind introduction, Andrew. You know, it started about five years ago and really I was teaching a guy who, you know, Gary Guerrero and Gary's kind of a whiz on the internet and he had some optimization businesses going and things, but he was taking golf lessons. We became kind of friends. I gave his mom a few golf lessons and he said to me, look, you should be doing, this was, I, th I wouldn't say it was in the infancy of YouTube, but it was certainly a little bit less, quite a bit less populated than it is now. So he said, you should be doing these YouTube videos. I work with a tennis pro as a little piece of my business and we've had some success, not so much with YouTube, but selling videos, you should do this. So anyway, with his egging on and he bought the camera and whatnot, we, I did a few videos, but we didn't put anything out initially because they weren't very good. And he would coach me and he would say, gosh, you know, you're, you're way too low, whatever. He would coach me, you're too low key, you've got to get it. But after a while, I started to get a little bit of a feel for it. And we posted a few, they got a little bit of traction and you know, just sort of built on it a little bit. And when we had a little bit more success, we kept doing it. And then we tried to use that to launch into more of the Scratch Golf website business and just sort of slowly developed it. 
it took a little while to get it going, but it was a surprise to me, a pleasant one. As anything that's worth doing, Adam, it takes a while to get something off the ground, isn't it? Hey? I have found um, that. What, what, what would you say is the most popular information that you've had the most success with in putting it out there that the most people tend to gravitate towards? Well, generally, I think if you're looking at full swing stuff that's either hitting it straighter, hitting the ball more solidly or hitting it further. Now that encompasses quite a bit, but those sort of videos tend to get more attention than say putting videos or some other sorts of videos. So one of the things we've tried to do is we've tried to see what are topics of interest to people that they're really searching for. And then we've tried to title videos along those lines. Of course, then I've got to come up with content that relates to that. So you try to yeah. find out what they're looking for a little bit, which isn't that difficult to do. You know, I know you're in the, in the same genre and then you sort of say, well, okay, if I was, tackling this subject, trying to help people, what would I say? So then you plan it out a bit and out you go there. Then over a while, you know, like you do with anything with your teaching, whether it could be playing even, after a while you make enough mistakes and you sort of figure out what you think works for you fairly well and modify it a bit as you go. And after a while you're reasonably comfortable. And I think that's a great parallel for everybody listening in, Adam, is you you try new things you work with it you stick with yeah. it you persist with it you make mistakes you learn from your mistakes and eventually you start to get better and that's such a great message for everybody whether you're trying to get better at playing the violin or playing yeah. golf uh, or standing in front of a camera like you yeah. do so so eloquently you really are very calm and controlled and you say some at least on the takes things. you've seen uh, i look that way <laughs> I find for people often say to me, what kind of golf, what kind of players do you like to teach? You probably like to teach really good players. And it really isn't that way. People I like to teach that relates to what you're saying are the people that have some curiosity. They like to get their sleeves up and play with it. They're interested in learning. They, they just have a passion, have some interest in the thing. They don't mind making some mistakes to find their way. I think it's people, which is fine, but it's people that are like, well, look, I don't want to really learn anything. You just give me something and I can do it. It just generally isn't enough to get you good at golf or violin or whatever, as you say. Yeah. And uh, I think the people that, you know, the people that don't mind, the people that like to look at videos often are the kind of people that, whether it's my videos or yours or whoever, the kind of people that have a real curiosity. And that's a good mm. start. Now, if you don't have discernment with curiosity, that isn't so good. But, uh, but it's still better to have curiosity. And that is one of the challenges, I think, for so many golfers nowadays. Uh, they hop on the internet, they hop on YouTube typically, and they go, well, that person sounded like they knew what they were talking about. I'm going to try that. And, and the challenge, I think, for the everyday golfer is how are they deciding what they need? And right. that's really the challenge. I, I think there's so much good information out there. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the information out there. Some of it's better than others. But the challenge is deciding what they need, which tablet should they mm. take and how exactly. much of it they take. You know, you and I are having a conversation in South Carolina a few weeks. I don't know, I was up there a month ago or something like that. But I, actually, you were saying something and it struck me. You said, you know, after a while, we're talking regular golfers. Why do I teach? Why do I sort of put my information out as best as I can relative to a typical player, because that's what I do all day. I don't teach tour players all day. Mm -hmm. I teach a few good players, college players, a couple of guys have played on one a tour or the other. But if, if 
you get so used to delivering information to the sort of person that we're likely to be reaching at scratch golf or golf fanatics or whatever that you kind of, after a while, like you say, making mistakes, you figure out a well, way this thing resonates with people in this one area. I should keep saying that when I get this problem, mm-hmm. I'm going down that road because people are getting traction with that. And over the course of 25 years or 35 years of doing it a lot, you kind of have a, a lot of little tools in your toolbox. You say, well, I know that that works in this situation. Most of the time, people seem to understand this explanation that I heard this guy give that I'm now using and eventually collect stuff through sheer. I heard as a parallel, I heard a comic comedian that was hosting the Oscars or something and he was fantastic and he did a great job or whatever. And I was laughing. He said, well, I went out and I did clubs for about four months, trying all the material out that I was going to thought I might use. Half of it was terrible and it flopped. Nobody laughed. So I didn't use that. <laughs> it was the stuff that <laughs> I made sure I didn't use that at the big show. So, uh, you know, it just takes a while to get to get it sorted out. And that's what we try to put out in the videos. Hey, I know people have resonated with this. We're going to show them this drill. And, you know, thankfully, it seems to be uh, seems to be people are seeming to be able to assimilate it a bit and actually use the mm. information a bit. Mm-hmm. Adam, I, I like the angle you're taking here because one of the questions I wanted to run by you, because yeah. I can certainly, I've got a clear memory of, of my experience in this department is, what is the worst golf lesson you've given? I've I'm given... sure you've looked back. Mm. <laughs> and if you say you've never given one, I'm not going to buy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. Given a lot. That's the problem. It's trying to sort them out. <laughs> Jeez, if there was a specific worst one, you know, I would say there's a lady I used to teach in New York about 25 years ago, and it wasn't one golf lesson. It was about six I gave her. She was had certain things that would not make it possible for her to, on any consistent basis, hit the shots, but I just didn't know it, and I kept trying to hammer something home with her, and that was what made it worse. It wasn't one golf lesson. I tried to bang that nail in the wall for six weeks, mm. and if she stayed the same, I would be flattering myself. I think she got a little bit worse. And a few years later, when I was exposed to something about what I'd been missing, I was like, oh, my gosh, can't believe it. For six weeks, I told her to try to do this. But uh, it, it sticks in my it sticks with me that lesson. I just it was so ineffective and so obvious. I, I distinctly and it is so cool to hear coming from you, someone who's been teaching for a long time, how far we've come. And there is nothing quite like experience uh, i distinctly remember my worst golf lesson i've ever given and you and i we both worked for david ledbetter back in the early days and i want to talk a little bit about that but yeah so you what, have a particular one that sticks out huh? oh yes it's one Let's have it and and i distinctly remember it um as you know we had to go through this nine month year long yes. David Ledbetter certification process. And you had to film all this stuff and read these books and write these reports. And it really was a great program, I think, to, to bring along a young teacher. Yeah. But it did take nine plus months to do. And I had completed my certification and somebody came in and this was a long time ago. I think they'd paid their $150, which is a lot of money, even in the, in these days. And, uh, I proceeded to unload nine months worth of what I had just learned. I thought, what what good value this person's getting. They're getting nine months worth of information in one hour. And what was the outcome of it? How did it wind down? Well, as you might imagine, I never saw the person again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, too much information is certainly not a good thing. Okay. And, and as we get to become experienced coaches, I think it's a case of 
Yeah. How little right. exactly. And you know, one of the things I remember most about David Ledbetter, we both have been lucky enough to know him well and been around him teaching a great deal. One of the things that maybe the thing I think he did best, and it was a revelation to me back in those days, was he would look at a guy, could be, didn't have to be a pro, someone, and he'd say, well, yeah, you know, the club's doing this and that. The problem, though, is he holds it this way. And because of this, then he has to do that. And that's why he has either this or that. And his ability to go to the root of the problem and not just look at all the things that didn't look right. Uh, was was pretty amazing. He could do it quickly and consistently. And therefore, his teaching was pretty much always effective because he's working on root causes. Yeah. yeah. I remember another thing David said to me once. Is that, do you remember Connie Baker used to play the LPGA do, Tour? Yeah. She taught down here with us. So she, yeah, wonderful lady. So she was teaching at the, at the Naples Golf Academy with me and Don Herder, I think it was. Anyway, so we're in there and she had gone to an LPGA tour event. She used to play on the LPGA tour. So they let a whole bunch, a whole bunch of them let her film them. And we had these swings back there. Now, in those days, the LPGA tour swings, somewhat like the PGA tour, but more so was a real group of some pretty homemade looking swings. And in, in, they didn't look as fluid and uniform as they maybe do in many cases look now. So we're kind of sitting there in the video room picking apart these swings, almost making fun of them. David came in because he's coming down for a visit. He said, well, let's see what's going on. I said, well, we're looking at these swings. Look, look at that takeaway, you know, this stuff. And he, he, he let us go on for about 10 minutes. And then he said, all right, both of you, shut up for a second. You do realize every one of these women is playing on the tour, right? So <laughs> I said, yeah. And he said, so they've obviously got to be doing something right, right? So before you tear everything to bits, why don't you figure out what pattern is actually helping? What are they doing that's good and work around that a little bit and not destroy anything there by accident? You know, mm -hmm. in other words, use your head a little bit. So it was a lesson to me. I was like, oof, I should have, you know, I wish I hadn't said all that stuff I said the last five minutes. But his, his inclination with a good player to work around some things they had or with a poor player to just go straight to the root cause was really, really impressive. Yeah, that's neat. Eh? That's great advice from David there. Uh, I, I love to, in, in my journey as a coach, I love to pick out the outliers and mm -hmm. try to understand. Obviously, you know, you look at a swing like Eamon Darcy or certainly yeah. the American. That's definitely an outlier. Yeah. That's an outlier. Jim Furyk, an outlier. But these are fabulous golfers. And so let's yeah. start with that and say, this golfer is really good. Why? Yeah, why? Um, it, it helps you decide what's really critical and what's less critical, let's say, at least. I remember a guy uh, who's the chap in, um, oh, you, you know his name, famous chipping coach. He's talking to a group of us in South Florida. Seekman, James Seekman, really good, you know. So, and, and I, it had always been a marvel to me how well Ray Floyd chipped because his takeaway is just the worst Wait. chipping takeaway you could get. And it just has always stuck in my head. I mean, he's obviously got steel, you know, steel nerves and all that. So Siegmund's up there dissertating on chipping, doing really interesting. And he says, now take a guy like Ray Foy. He says, why is an outlier that could chip? And I perked my ears right up. I was like, I've got to hear this. So he said, okay, he takes the club drastically to the inside. But if you look at his setup, he sets up almost facing the hole. He says, so when he takes it inside, he's actually on plane. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I thought, well, yeah. you know, I should have, didn't think about that. And I haven't really seen film of Ray Floyd chipping lately, but it showed you that, hey, you can do this, but if you get a pairing that allows you to do what you need to do, you can make it work. I like sure. that pairing. A pair. I, I like the yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Um, Adam, if you could take a golf lesson from any person or any coach on the planet, who would it be? 
you know, this is a cheesy answer. It's like saying I like the New York Yankees, but I think I would take one from Butch Harmon. You know, you hear so much about him, his history of who he's taught, what he's done, his dad, everything. I mean, I know David. I've had lessons from David, and that, otherwise it might have been a choice. But I, he, I would just love to spend an hour with him and just see him go about it. But I don't know if I'd be – I'm sure I wouldn't be disappointed. But I might reach for that one. How about you? Who would you be thinking? You know, I would love to, I would love to, and certainly it wouldn't be a golf lesson, but I would love to spend an afternoon with somebody like a Nick Saban or. Oh yeah. Interesting. The coach in another sport. Yeah. You know, um, who's the guy who used to coach the Lakers? Yeah. 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 Uh, um, Chris uh, no, Riley. What's his name? You think? No, no, no. The coach Friday. after him. Yeah, the coach. Oh, I know exactly who you mean. Yeah, tall guy used to coach the Bulls as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah fascinating. Uh, I would, I would love to spend some time with a coach outside of golf and just poach some That's of. That's a their, very interesting idea. Some of their yeah. information. Um, I'll tell you, if I could have a long dinner with anyone, it would be Johnny Miller, and I'll tell you why I say that. I think he's he say anything that's on his mind. I think he's yeah. very smart. And I think his wealth of experience all the way back to playing even a little bit with Hogan and Sneed and certainly Nicholas Palmer and all those players and what he's seen in the 50 years in golf. I just think he'd be a very opinionated and interesting, interesting man to listen to just go on about his opinions on golf. Some people might be just as interesting, but they'd be more guarded. Other people don't have the length of his suit. I just think he's an interesting guy. I'd like to talk to him. Yeah, I think he would uh, He would be uninhibited in sharing his... It would come out, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it would come out. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that, that brings to mind a little story. Uh, many years ago, I ended up on a private charter plane. It was myself, David Ledbetter, uh, our friend Blake Shue and Tom Watson. Ah, yeah. Just the four of us in a fairly small charter plane. And we sat, you know, alongside each other. And so there was four of us kind of facing each other. For We went from East Coast to West Coast. And it was just telling stories. And uh, it was... That fairly, had to be great. You know, everyone was relaxed. And there was yeah. no one kind of recording anything or taking something down. Yeah. And there was really good stories told. I that bet that was great. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that's one of the things that uh, I most enjoyed about playing. And I wasn't a very successful player. I played mini tours or whatever. I wasn't as good as you at it. But I mean, I had a few good scores. I, I was trying, you know. But I just think it was being around the game. It was between the rounds. It was talking to other players. Because on the Florida mini tours in the 80s, you know, people had come off the tour, back on the tour. You know, there was a few characters. And I just think that it was just that, that the interest in the game and the people in the game was really one of my favorite parts, more so than actually trying to get a low score, honestly. But uh, and I, I would agree, looking back, it was, yeah. it was the relationships, it was the interaction. Yeah. It was I mean, you, you told me a couple of stories about playing with Ernie Els back in the day. I, it was hilarious. Him going up the wrong hole, trying to take a shortcut, you know, different <laughs> stuff. And Retief in the hallway, trying to do different things. And those are great stories. I love those stories. Yeah. One of my distinct memories is hitting balls next to Nick Price at a South African tour event in Cape Town. And it was the most defeating hour of my life. That's I, a big boost of confidence, huh? I, I knew that I could never get my golf ball to make that sound. And eventually I gave up and I plonked down and sat on my golf bag and watched Nick hit balls. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you picked a good one. Else to do. You picked a good one to watch, for sure.
Adam, if you, you know, for the everyday golfer, yeah. I, and I suspect a lot of people are listening in or watching here so that they can take something away and get out there and start to play better golf, have more joy, have more fun out on the golf course. If you had 30 seconds to speak to every golfer on the planet, what would you say to them? Oh, in terms of just swinging the club better and doing that? Just, I think just in scoring better, in becoming a better golfer, what would your message be? It doesn't. It could be swing. It could be whatever you want. Go and go and hit the gym. It could be get new clubs. Yeah. Um, whatever. I mean, because I like to gravitate towards swing because that's I just find it fascinating. I think that most players, they just don't they don't let the club react to them enough. They don't let the club, I mean, it's designed to do the right thing. They just interfere with it so much and they snatch it and pull it around and try to stick it in places they think it should be put rather than creating a motion and, and let the club sort of react to them in a, in a fluid way. I think it would clean up, assuming a decent grip or something, I think it would clean up so much of their motion. Uh, but they, they go off these rabbit holes and try to do this, that, and then they can't do this. It, it's not that difficult to get it roughly in a reasonably symmetrical plane. But the club should react more to the golfer, not the golfer moving the club around. Might be my little take on it. How about you? What are you thinking? I like that. I, I, I would do something different. I would say come up with a sound plan and chase after that plan until you get there. I'm, I really, I'm a big believer that I, I think every golfer can achieve something reasonable in their golf game. They can upgrade, improve something reasonable in their golf game if they persist. They get a sound plan and they simply go mm -hmm. after that plan. If someone says, I want to hit it 10 yards longer, I guarantee you every single golfer on the planet can find a way if they persist long enough to hit it 10 yards longer. If they want to take, you know, two shots off their handicap they can do that they just need a sound plan and persistence yeah sometimes you i mean it typically you might need someone that to help them formulate how to reach that goal and to coach them along it and that's that but i, I agree yeah perseverance one of the things just going back to swing again i think one of the biggest differences between watching the pros and they took lessons from david you need to watch them charles alnick price whoever and and then watching the average person take a typical golf lesson is the once that pro, if he believes, hey, I got to fix, I got to work on this, you know, either a steeper turn or a club more behind me, whatever. they just banged away at it for months. They didn't get off that along the lines of what you're saying. I'm going to keep doing it until that club's where I want it because I know that's what I have to do. And they very persevere with that. Most people, they try something and then play the next morning with hardly a warm up. But if they don't play well in the first five holes, it's gone. You know, so I think, yeah, in a certain sense, that could be applied to an approach to getting better as, also, as well as improving your swing. Find the thing you need to work on with some good coaching help and hang in there. That's what you need to do. You know, that's, that really is so interesting to me because you look at certainly some of the best players in the game today. And players that are good but have historically struggled, they've been in and out and in and out, and, and they haven't been quite as consistent as the truly great players of today's era. And when I take stock and I look at the best players in the game today, to me, they seem to stick with their coach. They seem to stick with their theme, yeah, their they idea, do. who they are as a player. They don't change that, and they really just try to get better at 
who they are. They try to get better with certain small things in their golf swing. Mm -hmm. uh, and oftentimes it, it's our culture, isn't it? It's our culture yeah. is we're looking for the latest, greatest yeah. thing. It's got to be quick and it's got to produce results. And, and golf really doesn't work that way. Yeah. I'll tell you, there's a little book. I've actually got about four copies. You could read it in an hour. But I lend to people who are starting or don't quite see this. It's written about 30 years ago by a, but it's not about Aikido, but I think he ran one of the world's top Aikido schools. He's an American guy, ran in California. But the book was called Mastery by George Leonard. And it was yeah. just, it was a look at relative to today's society, written 30 years ago. But how, what are the pitfalls that prevent people? And he's not talking about being a world champion. He's talking about really making progress over time in whatever they want to do, if it's tennis, if it's Aikido, if it's golf, motor sport. Mm. And what are the types of fences they fall at? And it's one of those super common sense, easy, fun reads that you think, well, about every three pages you think, yeah, that I can. And it has really helped. Everyone I've loaned it to said, I'm really glad you loaned me that book. Even if it's helping my grandkids do stuff, that book's helped me. So mm. I, I agree with you. It's just, uh, it's just enjoy the process and bang away, you know? Yeah, yeah. You you want to be which goes back again to if you don't have a curiosity and an enjoyment, yeah. you're probably not going to do it. I mean, some people and good for them. You know, they pull their shirt up, they just look ripped. That's great, but you know that's important to them. They don't yeah. play around with what they eat. They like to be in the gym. It feels good to be fit. That's great, but you know, I haven't done that. But I don't have enough. You know what I mean? It applies to different things. But you see someone that's good at something, whether it's the computer or working out. They like to do it. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it worthwhile? You know, I'm, I'm working on, I suppose, both of us are working on trying to get faster uh, yeah. speed-wise. And am I prepared to do what it takes? I know <laughs> to get faster. Yeah. Uh, but the question is, am I prepared to do what it takes? I'm right now. I'm not. I'm nipping around the edges. I'm trying right. to find all kinds of shortcuts and methods to get faster. And yes, I'm getting faster, but I know what I need to do. If I truly want to get faster, I need to yeah. get stronger, more agile and practice doing that. And I'll truly be faster. Uh, if you want to get better at anything, yeah. immerse yourself into it. Absolutely right. Absolutely. You got to enjoy it. You got to hang in there with it. Enjoy the journey, as they say. Enjoy. Adam, speaking of enjoying it, you know, one of my favorite things, favorite parts of golf, which is truly so multifaceted, is golf courses. Play yeah. golf courses. I know you don't play very much these days. I don't play very much these days, but both of us would get very fired up if we were going to play a great golf course Seminole down in Florida or Bay Hill or some yeah. great links golf. We would be excited and we would absolutely we would like clean our clubs and get our, you know, <laughs> new balls, <laughs> good gloves. Make sure yeah. there's a sleeve in there, you know, or yeah. two um, in there and, and get out there to play. Um, what I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that are slanted slightly differently. Uh, if you could, if you could play any golf course on the planet, whether you've played it or have not played it, which one would you play? Well, this is kind of a, an obvious one. I mean, I know you've, I know you have a number of times I've never played Augusta. So, I mean, I would really love to play that. And I think Royal County down might be another one in Ireland. You hear so much about it, but I haven't played either of those. So, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to say you've made two excellent choices. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, I, I think Augusta, for anyone who has not played Augusta, that's got to be number one on their list. That's got to be hard to say no. You know, top yeah. of the yeah. pile, certainly, certainly. Um, and then I'm going to ask the question a little differently uh, that might require slightly deeper thought. Would you, which club would you most like to belong to? In the world, and it might be the same, but it might be something a little. When you, and, and, a, and a number of considerations: how busy it is, you know, how, how accessible, whatever the weather, the, the, the as a total package. It's a total package. You can pick. You you get it as you would get it. Uh, you know, this is a this is a little esoteric choice here, but uh, I've been in South Florida a long time. Over in Miami, there's a club called the Indian Creek Club. I don't know if you've heard of it. Ray Floyd there it's very high end is it the greatest golf course at all certainly not but the atmosphere out there downtown miami and the distance across the course you feel like you're a 1920 great gatsby of the early days of south florida nobody out there pristine conditions very playable golf course i always get i've played that a few times i always get a great feel when i get on the property and i just like being there a lot you know and if i could be a member there i would really enjoy that and i like being in south florida how about you I, I, I love your answer because it really aligns with the way I like to think about that question is it's a place. It's got to be a place that makes you comfortable and yeah. warm. You yeah. want to feel like this is a place where I can relax and enjoy yeah. myself. And ultimately to me, that's what belonging to a club should be yeah. I know for mm -hmm. a lot of people. If you belong to a big fancy club, it's a little bit of a status symbol, but I want to, to belong to a place that I can take my friends I can sit back. We can mm -hmm. go out and play 18, have some lunch, maybe play an extra nine yeah, uh, yeah. to the clubhouse, maybe have a, an extra beer or two that we perhaps shouldn't have and everything's going to be fine. Is there a place that comes to mind for you? There certainly is. There certainly is. There's a, there's a course, and I'm not sure if you've played it, Adam, uh, Secession Golf Club. I have played Secession, and that would be in my top five for me. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. being at Secession. Yeah, I've been there five, four or five times, three, four times. Yeah, Great. Fantastic experience. The whole feel of the property, the caddies, the the landscape of the low country, the traditions they have at the club. It's just yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't necessarily have to be the fanciest best golf no. you've ever played. It's just a place that's gonna make you feel welcome. Yeah. And you you really cannot wait to get back and you uh, right. Right. to go and play succession. It, it, exactly. A fantastic place so i that's neat indian creek i like that a lot i like that question. I like indian creek adam okay we're gonna go a little deeper here we're okay. gonna go more deep and then we're gonna get it light-hearted again um if you found out that you had five years left to live name give me one thing that as a human being you would eliminate from what you do what would you stop doing that you currently do if you only had five years to go you know i think i would stop i'm a, I'm a hard-working guy i've got responsibilities i like what i do it comes with responsibilities i think i would pare back about 10 percent though and just take a little more time to enjoy things just hang out with the wife play a little bit of golf I think I would cut back work. Now, I know if you say, well, I'm living five years, maybe I stop working. I like working. I like what I do. But yeah. I think I would a little bit less for those last five, 10%, just grinding and doing emails that last bit and just 
soak it in a bit more. It's not a particularly spectacular answer, but uh, no, I, I like it. I like it. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a good one. It's a good one. It's it's something that. Uh, it's a question that I heard the other day, and I really do think that the best things we can say are oftentimes questions because they get people thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's a question I heard the other day, and it really got me thinking, what would I eliminate from my life? And What would you think? The, the, I, would, I would say expectations. Oh. Expectations. I, I, I really am going to try to to expect less from people. And I find often that I find myself getting frustrated. And and I I heard Martin Hall give this explanation once. He said, in a golf school we were doing together, he said, frustration is the product of unmet or unreal expectations. Hmm. And I will alleviate a lot of frustration in my life if I simply don't expect things to be this way. And I don't expect that person to be- Yeah, that's a good idea, good thought. I would really try to, to alleviate my expectations. Just go yeah. out and enjoy it for what it is, you know? Yeah, I like that. That would be a good one. Well, we should start now then. <laughs> should start. Because, because we never know. We may have five days, Adam. We may have five days. <laughs> if, if, if we have five days, this podcast is really going to be, it's going to go pretty viral, I would imagine. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, yeah. So Jerry's a nominal interest for a few days, uh, maybe. <laughs> Get us past the five-day deadline, um, Adam. Let, let's let's lighten this up a little bit. Uh, give us, and I know that having taught golf for as long as you and I have taught golf, we've seen some pretty special <laughs> special nice. occasions on the golf course. And uh, give us give us a good story. I, golfers love great golf stories. What you got? Oh boy, like you say, there's been a lot. Of, I remember I was, this comes to mind. I was meeting some members from a club I talked at up north. It's 20 plus years ago up in New York. <clears throat> well, you've taught up there. Anyway, this, we were meeting at Grand Cypress in Orlando. And the guy in question I'd given a lot of golf lessons to, he could hit it hard, real pinchy, steep sort of swing. And he struggled with fairway woods and long clubs. So we're on this par five out at Grand Cypress. Ground's perfectly normal. He's in the fairway. He takes a rip at this thing and hits sort of the top front of the ball and squeezes it about four yards backwards, directly away from the target. And it had spin, so it sort of ground to a hole. Yeah. And I didn't know you could do that to a ball at the time. I've subsequently seen it happen one other time. I didn't know what to say. His playing partners, after about a moment, about 10 seconds, we started busting out laughing. So, no, I know they didn't laugh yet. So he goes back in silence and we're just standing there and he hits another one. Now he just digs a divot and hits a peeling slice which is veering right for a maintenance cart and nearly kills the guy and then he says i thought that was a pretty good recovery after that first shot <laughs> i was pretty happy with that shot and then we all started laughing but that was quite a pairing there's been a lot of them how about you you got a good one i'm sure oh, you got lots actually one that just comes to mind based on what you just said was i, I remember you did some teaching in austria or germany at one oh, point yeah. and you came back in Naples, and I was—I I happened to be in Naples with Terry, my wife at the time. And um, you said, "Guys, take a look at this video I filmed during a lesson." And it was you operating the big old VHS camera. Oh yeah, and yeah. The guy taking the lesson takes a swat at it and uh, comes up empty. <laughs> and you—I uh, can hear you in the background say, "Bad luck. Try again." Okay. He- <laughs> 
he buries the club in the ground behind the ball and, and in slow motion, of course, the club exits the ground and does a nice arch over the top of the golf ball and you say, bad luck, try that again. And, and on the very next swing, the guy makes contact, but he, he nicks it off the toe. And in the video, we had those politicians. I, I'll always remember the golf ball seems to get bigger. Oh, yes, I remember that now. I have forgotten that. Close, it whizzes past the camera, and, and you said that's better. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to be encouraging. Yeah, that was, oh, geez, I had forgotten about that. I had forgotten about that. My favorite story I ever heard because of who I heard it from, I got an off. You may have been there. It was me, Blake, and it was either Adam Schreiber or you, but I think it was Adam Schreiber. Got to talk to Arnold Palmer for a while on the driving range at this corporate event. Well, you couldn't get a better treat than that. So I said, you know, could I please ask you a question? He's like, sure. You know, what what do you want to talk about? There's nobody else around. I said, what did you think of Ben Hogan's game? You know, I said, you know, you know, not so much as a guy, but what about his game? And he proceeded, he leaned on his club and started talking and talked for six, seven minutes about anecdotes of Hogan's game and things you'd know. And just watching his legendary face, Palmer, chuckle and talk about Ben Hogan, I thought that is as good as it's going to get for me right there. So that I haven't, I haven't been on the receiving end of a story I enjoyed any more than that. Oh, that was great. It wasn't me because I've, I, I didn't actually get the it, privilege. I think it was Adam Schreiber, yeah. Who's a, for anyone watching, he's a really good coach in his own right that was with us at Ledbetter that teaches a lot of pros up there in Michigan these days and travels around. Yeah, yeah. His, uh, his photo has actually recently been making the rounds. He had a photo. He used to teach Anthony Kim. That's right. Yeah, he was uh, Anthony Kim's coach. Yeah, he, had a photo he certainly was. Him. And he used to teach Brandel Chambly a lot too. Oh, that's interesting. He was primarily the teacher of Brandel and David would kick in there. But uh, yeah, they... it's, it's interesting, Adam, isn't it? How how many of us who started with David Ledbetter way back in the day? I mean, there's a good there's a good dozen plus coaches who are having decent success. Yeah. and really helping a lot of golfers who did start with David. And uh, it really is. You great. know, one of the things I think from my perspective is it wasn't just David, although it was primarily, you know, but it was also some of the people right around him, Mitchell, Patty, you know, whoever, the, Adam Schreiber, that were really good around. It was a kind of an environment of learning. Yes. But also through the course of being around David, we were both there for many, many years. Uh, you meet so many other interesting people in golf. So your network of people you might be able to connect to grows a lot. And, and I think that was super helpful too, because over these intervening 15 years since I left there, Gosh, I've had more people come to golf schools at Mediterra and I've gotten to know because of a Ledbetter connection and they introduced me to them. And I know you, you've got a huge network of connections, but I think the initial push for me was working for David that gave me some of those. I, w- I, would, uh, I would have to agree. It's, um, it opened so many doors. It was, yeah. we were lucky. We were lucky. And, and, lucky. and yeah. no doubt we've taken advantage of our good fortune, but we were very lucky very to be the at the right time. Yeah, it's like going to work for Walt Disney in 1955, and then suddenly you, you know, you were like, okay, nice job working for him, you know. Well done, you're a genius. It was. You must be a genius. Uh, exactly, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> certainly, and, and, and I know I, I got a lot of good breaks thanks to my time spent with David, and yeah, I'm sure absolutely. you have too, you know, you have too. So, Adam, this has been fantastic. Uh, I'm going to close out each podcast with ah, okay. what I call a fast finish. 
And yeah. the way the fast finish is going to work, you get 10 questions and you get a bonus question at the end. And the bonus question, I'm going to try to keep the 10 questions pretty similar from one guest to the next. But the bonus question is crafted specifically for you. Okay. Okay. No explanation required. You're going to be given a choice of A or B and you simply... On the bonus question. No, on all of, on all all of the questions. Including the bonus question. Okay. Including the bonus question. Let's try for it. So I'm going to fire these off to you and uh, let's start. Here we go. Pebble Beach or St. Andrews? St. Andrews. Caddyshack or Tin Cup? Caddyshack. Walk or ride? Walk. Jack or Tiger? Jack. Open Championship or the US Open? Open Championship. That's a given. Would you rather be the best iron player or the best driver? Best driver. Lynx Golf or Parkland? Lynx. Annika or Mickey Wright? Oh, huge Mickey Wright fan. Huge. The Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Beatles. Football or American football? I've been over here now. I go for American football. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. And now for the bonus question. Okay. And it took me a long time to come up with this. Ah. It took me 30 years to learn the background behind this very simple question. Vendela or Christy Brinkley? <laughs> I'm going to go with Christy Brinkley. <laughs> and I can tell by your face, you know exactly where that comes from. I have a feeling I know that. Yeah. <laughs> many discussions, many discussions. Adam, <laughs> that was fantastic. I sincerely appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Great fun. Thanks for taking Great the time. Great working together here on some projects and uh, looking forward to trying to be helpful to people. I hope they're going to enjoy it. Yes, I think, uh, you know, everybody who's watching this will hopefully see us on Golf Fanatics and uh, looking forward to, to bringing that information mm -hmm. to you, the everyday golfer. And we are certainly going to go out of our way to help as many golfers as we can, as you said so eloquently earlier. Adam. And just briefly, because I know a little behind the scenes about the Golf Fanatics thing here, the, the, the projected list, uh, at least the initial list for these podcasts, is really great. I mean, you guys are going to enjoy the experiences of listening to some of these many varied people in and out of the golf business and what they bring. Very, very good lineup. You're going to love it. The podcasts are going to be great. Adam, thanks so much for that endorsement. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay safe out there and come up with a good plan and work the plan. Hang in there.